Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series featuring talks from Middle East Forums projects. My name is Dexter Van Zyl, Managing Editor of Focus on Western Islamism, and I'm going to be moderating today's discussion. Today's guest is Colin May, an attorney in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Colin was director of the Alberta Human Rights Commission, AHRC, in Alberta until his positive review of a book by uh, Middle East Forum's Ephraim Karsh caused him to be ousted in September of 2022 on the grounds of Islamophobia. He is now suing the province of Alberta, charging that his ouster had nothing to do with the book review, but had more to do with uh, political machinations uh, to get him out of his position to protect people from investigation at the AHRC. This raises a number of questions. How has Islamophobia become a tool of political warfare available to everyone in, a, in Western democracies, not just uh, Islamists? And what impact does May's ouster have on free speech in Canada and what can be done? At the outset, I have two things to say. First of all, I want to encourage our viewers to post questions in the Q&A window on Zoom. And also one of the things uh, at FWI, if you look at our website, you'll see that we typically put uh, quotation marks around the word Islamophobia, uh, largely as a consequence uh, or an attempt to kind of differentiate from uh, you know, legitimate concerns about anti-Muslim bigotry. Because essentially uh, at FWI, and I think the Middle East Forum generally, we regard the accusation of Islamophobia as an attempt to essentially stifle legitimate discussion about Islamism, Islam uh, in, in the modern world. So with that, uh, good afternoon, Colin. Good afternoon. How are you, Dexter? Thanks for having good. me. Oh, it's good to have you. Can you briefly describe what happened in mid-22 when a blogger dredged up a 13, was it a 13 year old book review you had written of Ephraim Karsh's, Ephraim Karsh's text, uh, Islamic imperialism? What happened? Well, it was, um, I guess we start with, uh, you know, I had written this book review 13 years earlier. Uh, it was an academic book review in sort of, it wasn't, the journal is not an academic journal, you know, it's not a peer reviewed journal, but. I have written in peer-reviewed journals, but it was just a, a book review um, and a little bit of history for me. Uh, I attended Harvard where I studied medieval uh, Islamic philosophy under Musan Mahdi. Um, I studied uh, integration of immigrant communities uh, in Paris when I was doing my Diplôme d'Etudes Approfondies there. And uh, I studied with Dominique Schnapper, well-known sociologist and daughter of Raymond Aron. And so I have some background in this area. And so what I had done, I'd written this book review. It was put online 13 years earlier uh, in, in uh, you know, before this came out in 2009, nothing, nobody made a sound about it. It was just another book review by some guy who's, you know, some academic type of fellow. And I was a student of, in uh, law school at the time. But then uh, 13 years later, I was appointed on May 25th, 2022 as the chief of the Alberta Human Rights Commission after having served as three years as a part-time commissioner and having written over 40 decisions that were published. And uh, there was a little bit of an attack on my credentials to start with, but not much. But then suddenly at the beginning of July, 2022, a blogger who's affiliated with the opposition uh, party and New Democratic Party uh, here in Alberta, uh, 
had somehow got a hold of this uh, piece, which actually wasn't available very, very easily anymore online. But he decided to uh, write his story about it. And of course, I have to be a little careful here because in addition to my uh, wrongful dismissal suit against the Alberta government, I will eventually be filing a defamation lawsuit. So some of these people I'm talking about will be defendants. So uh, I can't over, <laughs> can't say too much. But, um, you know, what I can say is that it was the, the, it was misrepresented. It was treated as some sort of effort to attack Muslims generally, uh, especially Muslims in uh, Canada, where in, you know, where they are minorities. And in fact, the, the review and the book entirely is about Muslim majority countries, about the political dynamics there, the history of Islam, uh, its imperial background. Uh, through the various caliphates that have you know, come forward since the, the prophet's time. And um, what then happened was I was accused by the opposition based upon this misreading or this mispresentation by the blogger of being Islamophobic, of racist, and, uh, and I, of contributing to violence against Black Muslim women in Canada all of which was absolutely ridiculous accusation, but those were the accusations that were made against me. Um, the government did, made some efforts to defend me, uh, but what I discovered through the, the process, and of course there was a, the National Council of Canadian Muslims became involved, uh, demanding an apology from me. I wasn't going to give one, but I did make an, a statement trying to assuage concerns. But you know, once, the cat's out of the bag on these things. Once you've been accused, you're finished, really. Um, you, there's nothing you can do. You could apologize. You could, you know, uh, bow down before as many authorities as you want. Uh, but it, ultimately, uh, because I was accused of not having uh, met with enough Muslim groups uh, to, uh, you know, seek their their uh, their forgiveness, apparently, uh, that's, forgiveness was a word. I was supposed to seek forgiveness for what I'd done. And uh, ultimately, the government decided to let me go. So I was there for two months, uh, two months of uh, dealing with these accusations, trying to reform an organization, which I was soon to learn had significant management problems, significant issues of uh, of sexual harassment had been raised of staff against other staff. And a lot of that, as I'm learning just today, um, the former head of my predecessor who was appointed by the New Democratic Party is now uh, being investigated for issues of bullying and mistreatment of staff in his new job. <laughs> so all of this is coming together, but suffice to say, I was taken out on the basis of uh, Islamophobia. Now, one of the, the, the things that I, I, I've looked at the record pretty closely is, is that essentially it seems as if the initial allegation of Islamophobia was not leveled by Muslims and ha didn't have anything to do with any concern about uh, the safety or welfare of Muslims. It was, a, it, you know, I, I mean, that was the stated okay. interest, but it, it, 
but it, what, those concerns were not leveled by Muslims themselves, but by basically by officials within the NDP. So mm -hmm. are you, are you, it, it seems like you're indicating that this weapon of Islamophobia was instrumentalized or, or this accusation was used as a weapon by non-Muslims to go after a, one of their rivals in the political sphere. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, that's how it, it, it appeared at first. Um, as I said, it was uh, NDP and their allies who really, and not Muslims, although um, it was a Muslim MLA for the NDP who, you know, led the charge against me, which I, you know, that seems it's all plausible that they would do it that way. But um, yeah, it was very much uh, appeared as a political attack first. Um, and it was this uh, Muslim NDP MLA who uh, called me Islamophobic, well, the word, the writings Islamophobic. And as, the, as this went on, he eventually referred to Ephraim Karch's book as being Islamophobic, um, which is a pretty hefty accusation to make against somebody as renowned as him. But yeah, it was, it was a political thing. Now, one of the things that I did was I looked at some of the reviews of uh, Dr. Karsh's text uh, that had been published long before anything that you had written or even subsequent to, and there was never any hint of uh, the accusation of Islamophobia leveled at Dr. Karsh or his text by these experts. And so I, I guess at this point, what type of, do you think that this is going to hinder people's ability to speak openly about uh, issues related to Islamism, uh, Islam, and, and, and Muslims in general? Well, absolutely, I think so. Because, I mean, having done so, you see now what's happened to me. I've lost my livelihood. I haven't had a job since I was fired. Um, it's, it's had a massive impact on my reputation, which was before Spotless. I was well-respected uh, in the legal community, in the academic community. I'm having to reconstitute all of that. Um, and I think, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, a few years ago, there was uh, a non-binding uh, statement made by Canada's House of Commons opposing Islamophobia in light of uh, some, uh, some murders that had happened in a mosque in Quebec. Um, and there was raised at the time, well, it was people raised the concern that, well, if we say specifically, this is all Islamophobia, then legitimate criticisms of, for instance, leaders of Muslim countries in the Middle East or of Islam as a doctrine will come under this attack of being called Islamophobic. And that's exactly what's happened to me. Uh, and at the time, everybody said, oh, no, no, that won't ha happen. And well, here we are. It has happened. Um, and, you know, that's not to discount the fact that there does seem to be a rise in uh, some hate crimes against Muslims in Canada. Uh, and we can't discount that. I've never done that. I think that's absolutely should not be happening. Uh, but it's certainly being used, I think, in my case, to silence me for a political purpose. Um, and, uh, and then to prevent anybody from criticizing, uh, for instance, uh, you know, a Muslim leader in, in, in Iran. How would you even do that without being accused of uh, attacking Muslims in Canada, which of course I never even discussed at all in the book review and, and Dr. Karsh never mentioned Muslims as minorities in other countries in the West. 
Okay, now, one, one of the things that, that I've seen in the record that, that you've mentioned is, is that the people who were responsible for leveling these charges, they knew you individually. They knew you had actually interacted with them. And, and, and it, it, it seems to, th I'm led to believe that they had reason to believe that you were essentially not an Islamophobe, that you were essentially, like, you know, for lack of a better word, a good guy that was committed to... Uh, the goals of the AHRC, and, and essentially you, you you wanted to make Canada work, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Rachel Notley, who's the leader of the New Democratic Party, former premier and running for premier again this month, um, worked closely with my partner. Uh, he was uh, her tour and scheduling director um, when she was premier in, this, in Southern Alberta. I attended Irfan Sabir, who made these accusations against me. I was at a birthday dinner for him in 2019 with Rachel Notley there. I've been in, I've ridden in the Premier's Suburban with Rachel Notley, with her, with her, uh, you know, her uh, security staff. Um, I know her very well, and she knew my partner extremely well. And at no point did they ever say they had any concerns about me or anything that I had said. Um, and in fact, they knew I was involved in some work in health equity, um, especially I, I work a lot in health equity for, for Indigenous and uh, elderly patients. Uh, that's, that was supposed to move ahead at the University of Calgary. That got put off because of this. Uh, but absolutely, I know these people well. Um, the fact, so it's, it's a very personal attack. Okay, now, I, I guess, what advice would you have for people uh, who are uh, subjected to this type of critique and, and or, or this accusation, what what's your what's your what's your advice to them? Well, I think you know uh, the what's expected in these sorts of things is you do your mea culpa, you apologize, and then you go and you bow before the people you've apparently harmed and injured, and even then it, it rarely produces any good result. Uh, my response is fight back. Uh, I think we do have to fight back. We have to talk about, and this wasn't just an issue of freedom of speech. It was academic freedom as well, because, you know, this was an academic commentary. But what I, my problem was when you're chief of the Alberta Human Rights Commission, it's very much like being a judge. So you don't defend yourself publicly. Uh, it's standard that you're not going to go out there and say, no, I'm this and that, or, because you'll be seen, to, you'll start to be seen to be biased. And of course, that's the one thing we're not supposed to be. So it's, it, I didn't have an opportunity uh, to, to adequately defend myself. And then, you know, Rachel Notley, who's a lawyer herself, Irfan Sabir, who's a lawyer, knew this. They knew that I couldn't defend myself uh, the way I could have, say I'd been a politician and I wanted to fight back. But I think there has to be, you have to stand up to this and you have to do it reasonably and thoughtfully. And, you know, this is, uh, this is, I think a real threat um, and having seen it here in Alberta, Albertans have never seen anything like this before. It's never happened in Alberta. Before. And I think uh, most people don't pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, and unfortunately, um, you know, even when you're working for the government too, and they don't want you to say a lot. Um, they of course have their own political interests to defend. Um, they wanted to do, to be seen to be responding to the Muslim community, which I understand. But I think if this happens to you, you even even if you're in a position like I was, uh, I think you do need to defend yourself.
Okay, now, one of the issues that I was thinking about is, is or, that I saw was is that while the initial accusation was leveled by the NDP, essentially it looks as if, and I don't want to overstate the case, but it seems as if essentially the, the NCCM, eventually they kind of had to take over uh, basically managing the accusation against you. Because once the accusation was leveled against you, they had an interest in making sure that the accusation was capable of destroying its target. Because the, the, the ability to level that accusation is frankly a political asset that needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. um, did you see a shift from the NDP to the NCCM uh, as time passed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the NDP, you have to understand, because we were so well known, my partner and I, by New Democrats, many of them reached out to defend us and went to their party and said, stop this, this is wrong, you shouldn't be doing this. So um, it was clear that uh, the NDP were kind of in a catch-22. They tried to really launch a strong attack. They, they got surprised, I think, or blindsided by the fact that so many of their own members pulled back. So then they didn't push it a lot, only Irfan Sabir kind of tried to keep it going. But then, as you say, it became more the NCCM um, who were saying I hadn't been proactive enough uh, or prioritized meeting with the Muslim community. Um, what the NCCM didn't know is I've actually met with some Muslims uh, who were representative of, two, of a couple of communities uh, who gave me some other information. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the NCCM did want to portray themselves as the, the arbiter of all things Muslim and as the representative of a number of Muslim groups. So as you say, it's an asset for them. They are a lobby group. They, they try to get, you know, advance their agenda with the government. So it's certainly in their interest to be seen by the Muslim community or, sect or sectors of it as being able to achieve certain things. And removing me was one of the achievements they wanted to see. Okay. Now, in the question and answer, we have some, uh, JL has asked, have you been blackballed from finding further employment or have you been able to find a job since you were unfairly fired? And you've already addressed that, but can you talk a little bit more explicitly about the, your um, crucifixion? Yeah, yeah, I would say I have been blackballed. Um, I've applied for some jobs, basically been ignored, jobs I'm qualified for. Um, I have applied to get on a board of, uh, an organization. And I mean, many of them are upfront with, and the organization deals with uh, people who suffer from HIV, who have HIV and uh, who, um, you know, advocating for, for, for people with HIV. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an issue. You can't help get around it. As I said, the University of Calgary was going to bring me on, or at least I was going to proceed with an application to become an adjunct professor there at their medical school because. I have some background in secondary trauma caused by complaints processes following adverse medical events. And um, that was stalled. And it's about sort of back, we're working on it again, but all of those things certainly have put a hold on my life. And I haven't had an income now since uh, September. Um, and it's difficult, you know, law firms are a bit jittery about bringing on some guy who's suing the government. and. Uh, but, you know, this is the other problem is you end up because you're, you're so harmed, you have to resort to these legal measures, but they take a long time. They cost a lot of money. And um, in the meantime, you know, it's difficult to get employment when you, people know you're 
you're engaged in this litigation. Okay. Now, one of the questions that we have in the Q&A is, what is the current status of your lawsuit? What's, what's going on? When do you think it'll be adjudicated? Um, the, the wrongful dismissal suit is, we're going back and forth with the government, so I won't talk too much about it. Um, you know, wrongful dismissal suits usually settle before you go to trial. So we're hopeful that will happen. Um, and, you know, um, I'm not hostile <laughs> towards the Alberta government and the governing party right now. Um, so we're, I'm hoping that, you know, we'll, we'll come to some arrangement. Um, I haven't filed the defamation lawsuit yet. I did file what are called notices of defamation on media outlets, which you have to do within three months of them publishing. Uh, but I haven't filed the actual lawsuit yet. Um, I'm expecting that will come perhaps fairly soon, maybe in the next few weeks, but maybe, you know. And of course, all of this is going on now with a, an election in Alberta on May 29th to decide whether Rachel Lonnie comes back as premier or we have, we keep the one we've got. So there's this sort of political background that I'm uh, dealing with as well. But yeah, I, I've, we're moving ahead as much as we can, but it takes time. Now, another question is, are special cutouts, uh, special privileges and exemptions being made for Muslims under Canadian law? And are there ever cutouts made for groups regarded as friendly or, or are they only regarded for, uh, offered to groups viewed as oppressed and usable against Western society? Well, I, I mean, I don't know if there's really cutouts. Um, I think, you know, as I said, there has been some violence against some Muslims. So I think that's certainly there, um, you know, that, but it, it probably is a concern that um, once the House of Commons has said we have to combat Islamophobia, and they have said they have to combat anti-Semitism and other things in the past, uh, they, you know, combat violence against uh, Uyghurs and against uh, Kurds and Yazidis, that sort of thing. But, you know, once you've named that and said this exists and sort of given it this broad scope, sure, I think, you know, it's going to be difficult. Um, uh, and, you know, as I said, I, I, as I would have been the first chief of the Alberta Human Rights Commission to have this broad knowledge about Islam, its history, its philosophers. You know, as I said, I studied Farabi and Averroes and Avicenna. Um, so I have that background. I think, so, unfortunately, I it would have been very useful for me to be in that position, especially with what has been happening to the Muslims. And uh, unfortunately, that's all gone now. Yeah, now, is there an element of the boy who cried wolf? Because it looks as if this accusation was leveled for a particularly shameless and obvious reason. Uh, but there is a legitimate concern, and, and, and human rights organizations and civil society organizations have a legitimate concern about bigotry of all types, anti-Muslim bigotry, anti-Jewish bigotry, bigotry against any community. But the thing is, is that because this allegation was leveled in such kind of an obviously political manner, uh, that essentially now the next time that it is leveled at somebody that may in fact be attempting to incite hostility and undermine the welfare of, of, of Muslims in Canada, will it be harder for people to actually stand up uh, in defense of legitimate uh, interests? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it will depend. These things, you know, have a rhythm to them. 
there is now more concern about uh, violence against Muslims in Canada. But when you make these false claims, as you say, you know, the boy that cries wolf, um, and it starts to come become more obvious that this has happened and people learn more about it. Um, yeah, I think that that certainly makes it difficult. I mean, you know, and that's why I think it's such an improper use of language and of uh, of these accusations to associate what I had written with violence against Black Muslim women, kind of using, and it was they were using the whole intersectionality approach to try to get the most uh, you know oppressed looking person they could find. But yeah, absolutely, I think this will harm Muslims. In fact, um, there was a case that was brought by a fellow who was a respondent at uh, the Human Rights Commission, and there was some women who had who had uh, made complaints against him for uh, being. Uh, discriminating on the basis of gender. And it's now caused, he brought a lawsuit against the Human Rights Commission for having listened to them. So you're already getting this sort of lawfare approach to um, matters that should be dealt with, uh, could be dealt with in mediation, but now are turning into uh, really aggressive uh, accusations back and forth um, that, uh, won't help anybody. They won't help Muslims. They won't help you know, the women who made in this particular case who made those accusations, uh, and even myself. You know, and this is something that did come up. Uh, it was revealed that I, I I'm an openly gay man, so I you know have some interest in certain elements of of uh, of human rights, and um, you know it, even that was sort of turned against me. What does that matter? You know, if people were saying that, uh, so it's. I think it's 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 very much turning things into a war of one group against another group, and it, and that's what absolutely should not have happened. Now, is there a sense within Canadian intellectual life that maybe we should just start to emphasize individual rights and freedoms, and and, and kind of kind of lay off the whole concern about group identity? And when those individual rights and freedoms are essentially violated uh, because of some sort of group identity, that that's a legitimate intervention. But the idea that you need to kind of protect groups in general, uh, as opposed to individual rights, are, are, are people thinking about that? No, I don't think so. And I think, unfortunately, we're probably going a little bit in the other direction. Um, uh, you know, there was a professor uh, in Canada here, political science professor chair of the political science department who wrote an article in my defense, uh, but in an American magazine. Um, I think right now Canadians aren't thinking of that. They aren't thinking of, you know, Canadians have valued the idea of multiculturalism for a long time, but multiculturalism has undergone massive changes from what it used to mean to what it's becoming now. And that, you know, the idea that we have to protect uh, or, um, call out people or put fences up around certain communities so there's absolutely no uh, criticism of their actions. That's become the mod the model, I think. Now, you know, academics, I think, do their work. Um, some may think we maybe do need to make a change here. Um, I, hopefully my case would cause us to review that. We haven't gotten there yet because it hasn't been, you know, too widely dealt with yet. We're still in early litigation phase. 
but right now I'm worried that in Canada that's not the case. There was recently um, a professor at Wilfrid Laurier University who uh, received government funding to just put together what she called the a list of people that go on are part of the Islamophobia industry. Um, you know, I, I have serious doubts about just making up a list and calling people names. What What is the academic benefit of something like that? Um, so I have, con I think that's concerning and I, I'm afraid that's where we may be for now, uh, but um, hopefully we'll get out of that position. Yeah. Now there's one last question in the Q&A that said, you know, they were curious at the provincial level, what policies did they use to essentially dismiss you from your post? Was there any specific policy that, that they invoked or was it just the feeling of views that what you had written was Islamophobic? Actually nothing. I was let go without cause. That's the official version. I had, there's no, they didn't give me any reason for why they ultimately in a legal sense, why they terminated me. I have no reason. Wow. <laughs> so, so I can't say, I can't say, you know, I was just removed without cause. All right. Well, on that, I think we're going to, uh, it's like, a, it's like reading Kafka. Um, I mean, I yeah. can certainly speculate why, but, you know, um, uh, I've, I've seen some of the documents. Obviously, we've had some disclosure. And as far as that, you know, they wanted, they might have wanted to say something, but in the end, I was there was no reason ever given. All right. Now, the person who asked that question just typed "Wow" in the Q and A, <laughs> and that is exactly my response. Yeah. Um, and and on that, I just I uh, I want to thank everyone. I think that's about all the time that we've got today. And I want to thank everyone for attending and encourage them to look for the information about next week's webinars in their um, inboxes in their mail or in their email. And I want to thank our guests and our, uh, Colin May and the people who attended. And I wish everyone a very good weekend. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.